Right? Like, can't we just, like, get high and go on a walk or something? That, too. But I also feel like people will be like, okay, I'm going to work my 80-hour week and then self-care is my bath. And I'm like, no, you got to be on a more holistic level of self-care. You got to. Oh, I'm the worst. I'm the worst at self-care. Yeah, Katie, I'm adding you right now. That's fine. We got to get you some. Oh, I know. (laughs) Some balance. (laughs) I know. I know where my weaknesses are. My self-care is doing more work, so Ooh. I don't feel... My self-care is doing less work. That's yeah. a toxic pattern. It is. It's a it is very much. Pattern. But it's how I feel self-worth, and it's terrible. Uh, okay. That's something <laughs> well, whatever feeds your soul, Katie. It doesn't feed my soul, and I know Is it Katie or Kate? Do you have a preference? I don't care, but Katie generally. Katie generally. talk to a professional about that. Look, I have a professional. She's this Russian lady, and I'm thinking about breaking up with her. So, Oh, my God. I've been with my therapist for five years. She's like my best friend. Not Podcast brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. I'm your host today, Katie Rainey, and alongside myself today, co-hosting for this episode is the wonderful Annie Krabbenschmidt. Annie, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. What's been happening with you, Annie? My God. Since the last, what episode were you on? That was like 12. 12. And this is 50. So and I know it's 12 ago. because it was one of the best days of my life, so I keep telling people about it. <laughs> well, and then you were also co-produced a couple episodes. Yes. Yeah. At the Fall for the Book Festival. Mm-hmm. A delightful time. It's where I got my real, my real uh, hit of little co-production and i really enjoyed it yep did a fantastic and, job and so you'll notice now of... that brian's not here so yeah um, I, I got what i wanted yeah we've we fired him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and replaced him with annie <laughs> hear that brian so what are annie or how's your book coming my book is very very close to being finished i'm about a thousand words away from finishing well, five hundred thousand words away from finishing my very last essay that's what you think. I know. <laughs> the draft one, everyone knows that that's a real <laughs> real flexible number. And then I'll I'll round up an introduction and then I'll have someone else just like savagely pull it apart. Great. So I'm I'm, you know, by the end of the month I should have something to hand over. Great. This is very exciting because the podcast that we had you on first as a special guest episode I think 12 is what it was and it was around this time last year it was around this time last year where Brian basically on air forced you into deciding to write a book for us Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) which you may or may not publish with us but we're still we're in we're in talks we're in talks I'm excited okay so this has been the book so for a year now basically Yeah. yeah yeah a little over a year yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It has been really, I, I, I'll quickly do this before we really dive into what we're really here for. But I have been so, I mean, as you, everyone here knows, it's the most frustrating thing ever to, to write and especially write a book. But it's less frustrating than going to work because at the end of the day, you're like, wow, I really did something that I'm really proud of. So I've been really excited about all the things that have come up. And it is really poetic in a way that I'm working on my last essay now, which I think is the last essay in the book, and it is the hardest one, both emotionally, both craft-wise, for me to write, to have written, and it's the essay type that I kind of set out earlier in my life wanting to write like, and, you know, every time you, you're, you're kind of getting close, but then you realize that you're just not at a level where you can pull off what you're trying to pull off, so you kind of accept what you have in you, and then you move on, and I am 
accomplishing, I hope, an essay that that fulfills what I've always wanted to make out of a piece. And it's just beautiful that it's the last one. I mean, it makes sense because I've been I've been basically honing my skill for the last nine essays, and now it's essay ten is becoming this beast that I'm mm. I'm super excited about. Juicy, yeah. Well, this is uh, this is exciting because episode fifty is going to be really dedicated to nonfiction mm-hmm. today. The better of the arts. <laughs> the better. Okay, as the fiction. <laughs> I've written plenty of nonfiction in my time, so I I will allow it. Thank you for this episode. <laughs> Although fiction is my first love, so our special guest today is also a nonfiction writer and a writer of multiple things. Hi, Sarah Palantonio. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be in Harlem today. Yeah, Sarah's traveling all the way from Flatbush today, which we have talked many a time about. Flatbush how this Avenue, technically. Flatbush, Avenue. Flatbush is its own. I know you probably don't go to Brooklyn I often, don't. but Flatbush is actually its own neighborhood. Oh, shit. I just showed my knowledge of Brooklyn. <laughs> so, yeah. It's okay. Cool. I literally started a reading series six years ago in so you don't have Upper to to Manhattan, so I wouldn't have to go to Brooklyn. So. Classic. Sarah Palantonio is a recovering music programmer who always keeps the radio on. To what channel? We are a WFUV household. Okay. What, Which is in Fordham, and you probably get great reception of, is 90.7. Oh, yep. Okay. I know more by numbers. I don't ever remember the letters. What is radio. a radio? <sighs> <sighs> Just kidding. How does one listen to the radio in the well, modern actually, age? There's a great free app called, I don't have my phone on me, but you can stream anywhere on your... Amazing. Thingy. I forget what it's called. Okay, I does, I'll look it up. I can figure it out. I still drive everywhere, so, you know. Right on. Not yeah. all of us have cars in Manhattan, Katie. I know. I know. Um, well, uh, it's called Simple Radio, and you can stream anything from anywhere. Okay. Star 113, Radio Disney. Let's go. Sarah spends her time reading every book she can, finding out about niche music histories and subcultures. The bands she cannot live without are Wilco, Nirvana, Jefferson, Airplane, The Velvet Underground, and The White Stripes, but the first band she ever loved is Led Zeppelin. Sarah believes every band is someone's favorite, and there are always something to discover, new and old. She holds an MFA in nonfiction writing from Sarah Lawrence College, woo, and lives and works in Brooklyn, which we've established... I've never been to. She can read more from her and you can read more from her in Interview Magazine and on her website. Follow Sarah at Twitter via Sarah Powell. That's Sarah P-A. Nope. Yep. Sarah at Sarah P-A-O-L because she wants to know what your favorite Bob Dylan record is. My God, I just stumbled over your whole bio. I'm so sorry. Um, Welcome, and Sarah. I would love to be in Interview Magazine, but it's Entropy Magazine. Did I say I, I heard Entropy? entropy. I oh, okay, I said cool. Entropy. Yeah, it's definitely not Interview it yeah, could, Magazine. It could just be my Southern slurring That's cool. messing everything up. So your bio is very music-oriented, this one. I just want to say that my dad once dated the manager for Jefferson Starship, is that? No, Jefferson Starship. No, 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 not that. What, what, what was the one? Jefferson Airplane, yeah. Just wow. want to throw that in there. They've kind of been they careen- broke up. careening towards like my favorite all time. I mean, favorite all time's always Zeppelin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then it's like airplanes really my shit. Okay. But like also, I mean, I I'm gonna stop myself because no, I just, go like, for it. This this is, this I love is your I love Big Brother and the Holding Company, like the San Francisco sound, like the bluesy, folk, like fuzzy thing that was going on. Mm. That's like not quite like early metal, like Sabbath. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's my jam. What music do you like? 
Yikes. You don't have to answer. Yeah, like, you, this you is, nerded it out, just, and I was like, oh, I was here for the writing. See, but, like, I, but, like, for instance, right now, I'm risk- reading The Dirt, Motley Crue's book, because I've oh, been yeah. always meaning to read it. And, like, the first, I used to work at Sirius XM, and the first channel I learned was Hair Nation. So I know an absorbent amount about hair metal that I wish mm. I didn't know. But I was like, yeah, Motley Crue, like, you know. I have this, like, new philosophy about music writing that, like, any genre of music is interesting if the writing is good enough. Hmm. And, like, we have a philosophy in our house where, like, we watch a lot of, like, Antiques Roadshow. And, yes. Great. Um, <laughs> I could probably talk it, more about that. And how music. it's made because, like, everything is interesting, which I think is, like, the most important part of being a writer is mm-hmm. that you have to be interested in everything and, like, curious mm-hmm. or else, you know. What else? What are you fucking doing here if you're not going to be interested in shit? <laughs> That's it for me. I'm like, Katie, what are you if listening to? You're not going to be interested Wait, in also, anything. I want to know, know are you talking about like the lyrics or like the music production? Is I'm talking about like people writing about music, like oh, reviews. And oh, where, where do you and, read? Like, what, yeah, yeah like, where do you read this stuff? Because I don't. Well, you read can read movies. it anywhere. I mean, there is a popular magazine called Rolling Stone, which is kind of gone. <laughs> what, I think I've, I think I've heard of that one. <laughs> you probably know Rolling Stone, which is probably the most famous. There's a great biography of Jan Wenner if you love culture and like juicy gossip. I'm not gonna lie. Like, when the last time I picked up a Rolling Stone? No, was? I mean Rolling Stones obviously like. Although I will say they put Megan Thee Stallion and like two other women whose names I don't know on the cover recently and it's like finally my prayers are answered they're like putting new and exciting artists on the cover instead of like the Beatles and Bob Mm -hmm. and the Stones like probably because Jan's not in charge anymore whatever but you can read Rolling Stone Billboard too right air quotes the most trusted voice in music which is Pitchfork now owned by Condé Nast I know I know Pitchfork um Stereo Gum is a good one don't know that one um I really do I really like Tom Brehan he does a lot of cool stuff there and they recently got bought, like, Spin, the people that own Spin, which is also okay. It kind of is weird now. They, The guy who started Stereo Gum owns it again, which is very cool. So, like, that is an independently owned and functioning and run site. Cool. So, so that's cool, too. I was, uh, I was in L.A. until yesterday, and I was with some music folks because – my co-host of my separate podcast which is in a separate market Shout we're not out. worried about competing here no but what is your podcast it's Shout called love out. is a softball field it's very good niche for lesbians and allies but i was there did you get that from love is a battlefield the yes and song? also softball being what it is Nuff said (laughs) I was there with my co-host and best friend she is a musician in la does like grunge pop punk kind of combo but is a queer woman doing it which is very cool and she was with a friend of hers who's a member of a band called the Illuminati Hotties. I and love that. Do you? It's a great name. Oh no, the I name? I love that name. Okay, well, she's very cool. Uh, I'm writing it down. Very so chill and she had come out with this single that is amazing and I was like, I had no idea. I never heard this this single went out and was released over my head. I didn't know. And she just goes you must not be reading Stereo Gum. And I was like, okay, all right. Well, they say like in the music world or like music Twitter or music writers, like music critics write for other music critics. Like the people who mostly read music reviews are either artists, I think, especially if it's their review of their own mm-hmm. record or people who write it. I feel like that's the same for literary reviews. Too, Very though. much so. Like, yeah. you know, random people who you may be friends with who aren't writers aren't really like reading 
deep literary like reviews and drama and like columns you kind of are reading for the people who would also write those things yeah is that a problem it's not it's just like you know you both are very well read educated writers but Mm -hmm. like you're not tapped into the music world so it's a little alien to you which makes sense to me because if you're not writing it and reading it it's kind of like its own zone right that was me asking genuinely like is it a problem that that these publications are geared towards like such a niche audience. Well, I don't know if they're geared towards it, but it's just, I mean, it's it's like not a 100% yeah. truth, but like it's kind of like, you know, I don't know. It's not like, it, it's not a truth, but it's just like, you know, people, music critics write for other right. music critics. Who do you like, write your music reviews for? Not like, reviews, your uh, nonfiction around music. Do you write that for um, critics or do you write that for... I write it for myself. I was telling Kate earlier that I have this new project where I'm doing like my music memories because I've been trying to figure out what to do with like fragments of scene and like lots of scenes that are really just standalone and so I've just been like putting them out there to like put myself out there. Yeah. And it's been really nice because it like allows me to like put down those memories and just like move on because mm. music is a really pungent thing where you can hear a song and it transports you back to a certain time of your life or when you first heard it or a feeling or a lover or something. And those like are really interesting ways to explore sound, which is really always what I'm after. You know, it's like, but it's really hard too because like there are so many ways you can describe the way a guitar sounds and it's been done a fucking thousand times. So you have to find a new interesting way to do it. I would think memoir would be a very cool way to talk about what a guitar sounds like. If right. that's what you're talking about. Kind of like, you know, everybody and, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking of this thing someone recently told me where like every story has already been told and the key is to like find a new way to tell it. Mm. So I think about that a lot. Hmm. I don't know if it's true, but it came from a man who I respect who's like really in publishing and like I see almost every day. Mm-hmm. The uh, The cafe I work in is connected to a small indie press and I they come in all the oh, time. what indie press? Millville House. Okay. What cafe? Brooklyn Roasting Company down in Dumbo. Which Sarah brought me a <gasps> can. I didn't know what grind you have, so they're just beans. No, I, What yeah, kind I of coffee maker do you have? Well, we, I use a mocha pot, but we, oh, we have fancy. a, we, I mean, we have like a coffee, Mr. Coffee. That's very fancy. Should like I be well, the mocha grinder? pot is like the automatic pour over, which yeah. is like the cleanest way yeah. to get coffee. I'm a French press woman, but. I like French press, but Devin Kelly, who you both, you, you know, broke the French press when we lived with him like two years ago. And we just. You just never, moved on and never bought a new never one. Bought another one. <laughs> I was like, they sell those in stores. Should know. I be grinding my beans? <clears throat> what kind of coffee maker do you have? I do a pour over. Yes. You By should. hand. Well, how do you. Not automatic. Grind your beans normally. I ask the very kind gentleman who, who sells them to yeah, me. Yeah, you want a fine grind for a pour over. Yeah. And of course, for a French press, yeah. I could go off about this if you really need me to like talk about coffee. Oh too. man, I think that's very important for writers. And yeah. also, I'm fascinated. My best friend is a roaster, and for Cranky's Coffee okay. down in North Carolina. So, like, I'm just I'm fascinated by it. And me I lived too. in Rwanda for a while, and and we worked really closely with the Rwandan Trading Company. Oh my god, and, I have uh, a tin of Rwanda in my locker at work because yeah. we discontinued that flavor, and I'm like saving it. I should have brought that. It's for so you. good. That region has really good coffee i always yeah. like that one yeah. very much anyway now this is a coffee show well okay it is but i want to also note that you've written about how important like working 
in coffee is compared to your recovering music programmer? Yeah, I mean, I the last essay that I had published or you know, my most recent essay. I've only published three essays. I'm not like Girl, here me to too. brag I'm about not here it to brag nothing, either. Like, but uh, a lot of it was like exploring like why I've cho- literally chosen to work a, you know, hourly mm-hmm. minimum wage. Well, I think that's a good conversation for both of you and things that I've been trying to do and seem it seems impossible for me to do. And I wrote this down to talk about is the fact that you both have carved out in your life the space to write and have chosen jobs or the things that you do yeah. to do that. Can mm-hmm. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, like, I've definitely scheduled my entire life around having afternoons free. Like, I go to bed at 8.30 p.m. That's when you write? Afternoons? Yeah. I go to 8.30 p.m., my alarm goes off at 4.40, I snooze for nine minutes, and then I take the 520Q train to DeKalb, and I walk 20 minutes into Dumbo, because I refuse to transfer at that time of day. Absolutely not. And Too busy, too creepy? Too slow. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd have to, like, walk 10 minutes in the back direction to catch the F with a one-minute window. And if I miss it, then I have to walk 20 minutes the other way. It's just, like, fucking nonsense. So, Okay. And I go to the Even store. The cold. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I walked there today. The windshield was 12 when I left the house this morning. Tights under the jeans is the way to go. And then I work mindless, mind-numbing, insanity, stupid, talking to the general public all day, which is I do. I love talking to people. This so may that's, be a personal question, but do you leave the tights on all day? No, okay. I take them off when I get there because it's just like I was very concerned. Se- about very that. segmented okay. worm Great. feeling. Great. Yeah, I take them off. Okay, but yeah, I chose to have a job where like I don't have to use my brain to do it because it allows my mind to mm. wander. Mm-hmm. And when I leave on the days where I write, which have been more so than others lately. I go home and my partner who works a regular nine to five is not there and I sit alone and write in our apartment. Amazing. Beautiful. So like and like, you know, I don't go out at night. I'm like even like I don't work weekends. So like even tonight's Friday, like I'm gonna try and stay up to like ten thirty. Good for you. Like I go to bed really early, (laughs) get up really early and but on weekends, I write in the morning. Like, I find – and, like, I have Tuesdays off. So, I'll like, if I don't write in the morning, I might not get to it. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy that you're talking about this routine that you have. Because, it's all about routine. Yeah, because, like, when I was heavily writing my most, it was definitely, like, I had a strict routine of doing that going to bed by, like, 10 o'clock and waking up at 4 and, like, writing. Because when I do my best writing in the wee hours of the morning when yeah. I have no ego and no one to interrupt me and the world is still dark – and, like, I have one cup of coffee, and then I just sit there and, like, crank out whatever I can. I don't know what it is about knowing that the rest of the world is asleep that makes oh, it yeah. so much fulfilling. easier to like, write. Even when I was on air in college radio, like, being the first person up, like, doing, like, the 6 a.m. morning drive where you're, like, reading the, like, AP wire and the news and the weather, it's just, like, really fun to be the first person people talk to. Yeah, like, I really man. like that about my job, too. Like, people come in. I'm like, oh, I have my coffee yet. Like, God, I wish I had a dollar for every I was going to say, how many? <laughs> but, you know, like, it's really nice. And, like, I love talking to people. Mm-hmm. Like, that, because every, like, I talk, tell the, when I'm training new folks, I'm like, all you have to do is smile and lie. Decide what people <laughs> want for them. That's all customer service is. Like, smile, lie, tell them it's great if you've never eaten it. Tell them it's your favorite. Just make the sale and smile and be friendly. 
Amazing. And if you can't do that, like, it's probably not the right job for you. What yeah, a like, glimpse behind the curtain. It's, like, really easy if you just give in to it, you know? Sure. But, like, yeah, it's absolutely about routine. I'm and trying I'm, to turn my day job into that where I'm, like, like, I've been there seven years, so my job keeps getting increasingly, like, more responsibility. Right. And no, I just you gotta, keep, like... You got to get out of there. I can't. <laughs> Well, luckily, none of them. Your weaknesses are that you care too much. That's that's real, though. Like in the last year, I've turned down two different promotions because I do not want the responsibility. Like I'm absolutely a child in the sense because I'm like, I want the lowest amount of responsibility possible because my job is my writing. Right. And don't sell yourself short. It's you're doing a very adult thing when you're not at the coffee shop, which is like. I hope so. Very like I started running, difficult. so like sometimes I run. Yeah. Or like run errands. Okay, but. but here's a real question. So like one is the money. Like are you, like how are you are you how making sacrifice function? for sacrifices in your life to afford that, you know? Um, well, it helps like so I had a, a air quote real job right after college. I worked at Sirius XM for three years in Washington DC. And like Saved money then, and, like, I've always been a really good saver. And, like, I have a 401k left over from that. And, like, I had a childhood savings, which I just recently closed a CD and opened a Roth IRA because I do not have the ability to save money at a desk salary job. Mm -hmm. So I put it in there. And my partner, who works as a economic consulting firm, is a assistant editor who advises me on these things, makes more the inverse of what I make. And so, like, we – it's very helpful. Like, we're domestic partners, and that's how I have health insurance through his job. And the place I work for offers it, but, like, I don't need to rely on that. So, And my parents have helped me out in the past and are very supportive. So that's also helpful privilege that not a lot of people have. But, like, I don't know. I've just kind of, like – found a way to make it work like, yeah i save my tips every like you know i get like 10 to 15 dollars on a good day in tips cash tips every day and that's grocery money for the week mm-hmm. and or like i bring it right to the farmer's market it's very satisfying to like have people hand me a doll like put the dollar in the tip jar and then take my like portion and then hand it to a farmer at the just, farmer's just market. community building i love that <laughs> It's like the, you're really the, investing the way I'm able to like express my politics and that doesn't make right. me go insane is right. spending my money locally right. and composting. Yeah. Really. <laughs> the other political rebellion. Oh, man. Because okay. it's Don't like, you know, it's really hard. Like I do too many drugs to get into politics, nor that I and I think that like I'm not going to tangent, but like I don't want to participate in the system because sure. it's so fucked and broken. But like. There's a portion where you, like, have to participate from within to make changes. But, like, our generation's, like, really disconnecting from that for obvious reasons. Or other people are, like, getting more into it. Well, in terms of, like, going off the grid and stuff, I'm just – this is as an aside. When I lived still in Arkansas, like, I had – I love gardening and composting. I have all that. And, like, I miss it. Like, I have my little tomato plants over here because, like, I I have to – I noticed them. They're very lovely. To grow something at all times. Or, like, I'm going to go crazy. But at one point in Arkansas, I was rigging a bike – to power my own electricity in the house. That's fucking right on, And it was man. awesome because there's like a whole subculture like of under like underground people who just teach yeah. you how to do this stuff. And I was like, The future, I think, is absolutely having a garden patch and chickens or a goat or something <sighs> being able to that. like self-sustain and like growing your own food and, yeah. and being able, being aware of where your food comes from and like where 
you know, being able to make it yeah. and grow it because like that's the future. I but. own three goats in Rwanda too. And I tried to milk them to show my security guard. We How had to a go? Bet. Oh, they were not milking goats. They're specific milking goats that oh. you have to have. They're like you were al- just now assaulting these goats instead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the mom was not happy. <laughs> no, Mm-mm. but I made one thing of goat cheese just to like because I was determined. I got milk from her. Yeah, it was rough, but so, like I had a bet with my security guard there, and like we had this like on-running joke, and they just thought I was like you know like this crazy like fucking American coming in like milking a goat because <laughs> nobody did it there and i made one brick of cheese and put it on a frittata and i won the bet did you eat it all at once yeah well i shared it with people we the, put it the, on i'm just like picturing frittata. you just like housing a brick of <laughs> cheese I'm, I'm concerned for both of you that that you live in new york and and have ambitions to oh. own tiny plots of land with yes. vegetables you know i know eventually one day We'll probably leave New York and do that. Well, you were talking, Sarah, you were talking earlier about how everything's political now. And I, it's funny that that's your political statement is like, I'm going to compost and, and, but it's well, true. I mean, like, you know, there's so much meaninglessness mm-hmm. in everything. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Trump is just like, you know, the New York Times reporting that Russia is meddling in the 2020 election mm-hmm. and th- no one's going to do anything about yep. it and it's just meaningless yeah and yesterday when it was announced that roger stone was going to get three years in prison mm-hmm. for everything that he's done i said to my partner i was like falling asleep but i was like god i almost let that ruin my whole fucking day he's like well when trump pardons him tomorrow that's going to ruin your day because like it doesn't yep. make any sense so like the meaninglessness mm. is really just like kind of the philosophy i've gone into like it's easy like consume news be aware read more than one place but like it all truly doesn't matter like i get i know many people and like generations have known this but i guess i like came into my own where i'm like government is business and it has been forever recently watched the war room documentary about clinton's 92 campaign for president Mm -hmm. and james carville with hair and george stephanopoulos baby those two are in charge it's the most compelling non-reality tv reality tv you'll ever watch ever because it's like them in their campaign office like bullshitting planning stuff like something that never would have been made today and like seeing hillary clinton and chelsea just like your their whole lives flash before your eyes and i didn't i recently learned that like hillary was on the board of walmart and even in 91 they were millionaires Mm -hmm. and like the saying that my partner and i have adapted is that it's not about politics it's about class sure and that's it no i i that's it that's what it boils down to we didn't do this in my in my intro but part of my illustrious history is that i got a master's in public policy and within two weeks, you know, as any young, doe-eyed kind of person who wants to make a difference in the world, thinks like that's the way to do it, change policy. And within two weeks of being there, I was like, I think that I'm in the wrong place. I'm on the verge of tears at the end of my last class of the first two weeks, which is, you know, the drop ad period, whatever. And finally hearing someone, part of our curriculum was talking about changing public opinion. And I was like, that's the only way that i can imagine being involved in politics is is 
I can't imagine working on the floor. I can't imagine trying to make legislation pass. It doesn't, none of it matters. It's all about who's paying for it. It's Mm -hmm. all about who's backing it. And if you do something that's actually radical, you won't be reelected. So, and then, and then I had that moment where it was like, oh, what I care about is, is public opinion and influencing culture and, and how we're consuming culture. Do you think that's why you two are writers Uh though? No, I totally do. Yeah. Right. It's very much about like the medium is the message, mm-hmm. you know, and like also with, you know, Twitter and the Internet, while it is evil, this is that saying like the Internet's great because everybody has an opinion, but it's awful because everyone, everyone has, has an opinion. opinion. Sure. And like someone's already trying to run against AOC's seat because they can't stand that a brown woman is telling them what you they don't want to hear. I just and, I love her so much. Right. And so it's like, you know, the... I think the one tr- politician that's like actually doing the good shit is Stacey Abrams and mm, she is doing like, hardcore work in Georgia and uh, getting to the bottom of, you know, like the simple fact that the man she was running against for governor was in charge of the election. Mm-hmm. So it's like, of course, the system is rigged right? and it always has been. And I used to think the 2016 election was going to be the defining moment of our generation, but it's not. The 2020 election will be the defining moment because there's... You don't think 2016 defined a lot of moments It did. It did. But like there's... I was talking about this at work today. There's a really... This is a total fucking bummer. I'm a really big bummer. There's a really good chance Trump's going to win again. Oh, I kind of think that he's going to win. Oh, no. The DNC is so split. No one can get behind anybody and... No, and like you even watched the debate the other night with Elizabeth Warren, and I know we're totally going down the rabbit hole. This is what happens, but I don't even care because like the like what happened with Elizabeth Warren, where she clearly like like the most fucking. I, I said I was texting the uh, you know in a group thread, and I was like, Elizabeth Warren is way too smart to be president. Mm-hmm. Like, she well, she does a lot be. of good in the Senate as a senator. Sure, yeah, which- but this is why. And like, and if you watch any of the post coverage after she just slayed that debate. No one covered her. The candidates no, they were talking tra- about as they soon don't as, care. As soon yeah. as Bernie and, and Mayor Pete started to tie in in Iowa, no one cared about Liz yeah, Warren. Yeah, I know. Yeah. What is up with that? People hate women. That's I, what's oh, up with oh, that. Oh, what? No. Dude, I would but give Amy, any amount I don't think of I know how to pronounce this Clo- woman. Klobuchar? Klobuchar. Yeah. Yeah. She, everybody likes her for some reason because they mentioned she's a moderate. her. She's so center. Elizabeth Warren's way too radical. If Amy Klobuchar had even like a modicum of Elizabeth Warren's like charm and ability, like intellect, like she would did, be higher. In did the ratings, you see I think. that clip going and around I hate that I said she ratings. went on Telemundo? Yes. And admitted and that she didn't know yeah. who the president of Mexico that's was. That's what they and talked about in the debate the other night. Did you hear that? I did not watch they gave the debate. Her, oh, they gave her shit about it. Which They should. Uh, but Elizabeth Warren even jumped in. She was like, everybody forgets a name. Like, who cares? Like, let's move on. And I was kind of like, yeah. And, you know, I don't know. The only thing that serves is to be like w- women's stupidity. How, how could you? Yeah, I mean, yeah. how dare those women yeah, speak to I us? Know. How dare they say anything? Man, well, let's. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring that whole thing up, but I do Girl, think it's, I am here for I it. I think it's I. You know, as a as a queer writer, I like politics is part of oh yeah my writing because well, especially if we're talking about nonfiction too, right? right? Is like speaking from a queer position is political no matter what, which is kind of something an argument to make. Or so I was just reading the Overstory. Um, if you all have heard of it. That sounds really familiar. What Richard is it? Powers, I believe. I commented on one of the What Are You Reading Wednesday posts that I was reading it. Oh, okay. Um, but it's 
it's kind of been mm, polarizing in terms of its reception, but generally pretty accepted as good. It just came out? That a year-ish ago. Is it nonfiction? No, it's fiction. Um, and it's a story all about forests and how intertwined forests are. It's kind of the fiction version of The Secret Lives of Trees, about how trees communicate and have like feelings and stuff like that. Huh. It's amazing. I loved it. Uh, Roxane Gay gave it three stars on, on Goodreads. I give it five stars. And uh, part of some of the backlash commentary was like, this. I, sh- I would like it if it didn't keep shoving its political agenda down our throats but it never said anything about politics it mm. said something about forest conservation but it never said anything about well people politics. who don't think forest con- conservation is something to talk about consider it political. i know but this is what i'm saying is that well if i may quote please, oh, the please, great john lennon and bring it back around to music please. is <laughs> well that he said art without politics is just tv mm. oh i like that. that's where it is and that's I mean, I think that's true. I think, like, uh, especially as, like, I'm even thinking in the fiction world, you know, as a female writing in the fiction world, even though the industry itself is made up of, like, what, we're, like, 77% white and female or something like that publishing is. I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Female. And white. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know that it was white females. Yeah. It's very yeah. Much. Oh, yeah. It's a female dominated because well, reading in general is very like a female don- dominated. Right, there's like, a whole other right. thing to go down on that investigation. But right. yeah, but you still look at like the major canons right. and everything that sure. were like, I mean, I, you know, I, think, I will admit right now I'm reading Jonathan Franzen's Freedom because I've never read it. And I know. I, but you know what? Do you like the it? guys? A, it's a good book. Like I love the correction. John Franzen the corrections I, is so great. I really it's like really his novels. Great. Yeah, and I don't really care for his nonfiction. I read farther away. Yeah, because his nonfiction is all just like how he likes to shit on DFW at this point or Oprah. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, he. I loved his novels. I've read them all. Yeah, I actually like this better than the corrections. I want. I feel like I would definitely want to reread that because I read that on like a bus trip. I read Freedom and then. I was living in D.C. when Freedom came out, yeah. and I... It's very political. Very much so. Yeah. And I, like, tore, I went to see him speak at GW, because I was like, who's this motherfucker on Time Magazine? And, like, <laughs> I had never read anything I like of that him. you're like, I have to do my research. <laughs> I was I like, see who him in is person. this guy? Who are you? And, um, yeah, I think he's a dildo, but I think, like, a lot of best, the best artists in the world are dildos. Right? Like, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Yeah, they weren't. That's why he sits alone at the keys because he just needs to like work it out with himself. Well, I guess. and yeah, and I mean, you did. Do you guys hear about that article that came out about uh, DFW called Infinite Jerk? I tried to read it, and it inspired me to rewatch the end of the tour, which I did <laughs> see in theaters. And then I was like, maybe I should try again with Infinite Jess because I tried it twice and got two hundred pages in. I was like, this is so much. I read like eight books in this time. Yeah. And like my number one problem with Infinite Jess is that the binding is too big, and I don't want to carry it around. Oh if yeah, it, I mean that's if a good it point. was a smaller well, like also that you have trade to flip back and forth to like get the foot. Yeah. Right. Like if it was a small trade paperback, which they can do in thousands page books or whatever mm-hmm. I would have read it like 10 years ago yeah it's I, just like it's so cliche, cumbersome but I, but I've just been recommended it DFW so many times that I right don't even bother well like I'm really oh, I interested it. in yeah, it I because it's point, you know yeah. it's supposed to be great and I am interested in like addiction and recovery stories like I only read like the beginning where the guy's like setting up to like get high alone mm. for days and like caves himself in and like when I think of that book like that's the only thing I remember yeah. about it like that in tennis 
And I played tennis in high school, so I'm like, all right, I'm down. Let's go. Like, show me something. It's good. It's but just it's it's, it's so a lot. big to yeah. carry. You have to like be in a. And I read I've read half of it, and then I had a friend commit suicide, and I was not in the headspace oh, anymore, no. and I've never I'm picked so it back up since. Oh, this was like seven years ago. It's okay. It's but okay. like I like I couldn't. You have to be. <laughs> Like for literature like that, but I will say, turning back to nonfiction, DFW's nonfiction. Oh, it's great. Yeah, pretty on point. What's the What's the Infinite Jerk article? We just really went on a. Oh yeah, I know. I read the beginning. Of I it. didn't read it. I it's haven't about read it. This, uh, I think it's this woman who wrote a memoir about how they were in a relationship, or what? is that a different piece that came out around the same time about and how he abused her and like. There's some in that he was like in her <clears throat> novel, but or in her memoir, it's not. From what I understand about her memoir is that she actually doesn't like trash him too much. Like she maybe mentions that he probably wasn't the nicest boyfriend at times. But the Infinite Jerk article even says that like she doesn't really trash it. It's just a catchy headline Hmm. to put Infinite Jerk. And you know, she didn't write that headline. Yeah. No, she didn't. But even the person who wrote it just put a catchy headline. I mean, it's a great headline. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's going to click on it. I clicked on it. You know, I didn't read it, though. Let's go down the nonfiction route. Mm. What brought you two to well, both of you? Since you both write, I mean, I've written what, a number of essays. What was but... what was the book that can that confirmed me? Yeah. So I was not a reader until twelfth grade. Hated okay. books. Just recently read Harry Potter for the first time two years ago, all the way through. Like I read through the first five. I was like, these are long. Annie is clutching her. Face. And then book six and seven change. I do a list at the end of the year where books that change my worldview. And book six and seven changed my worldview because I had no idea how dark and crazy it was going to get. I can't tell right now if Annie is upset. Are you having like... I'm so delighted right now. I'm so delighted. All throughout, before I had ever finished it, I was like, Snape's my favorite character. I'm always drawn to... Oh, fuck yeah, Sarah. Way to call that. I'm always drawn to people who create drama. I love it. (laughs) But he also clearly... That's a a chaotic personal quality, just so you know. He's like kind of evil and mean, but he's hiding something. And like all... I had read the first five books as like an adolescent when they came out when we were kids and I was like I don't want to read this anymore and then my partner was like you need to go back and so we read them together at the same time and the sixth book is where the shit hits the, the fan the sixth and seventh book they're dark they're like grown ups there's so much going on and like I knew the like the spoiler that Snape kills Dumbledore but I didn't know the like beyond yeah. story of yeah. that let me tell you that moment so I was reading, I was in high school and reading it alongside my mom. And my mom, I'm a very fast reader and I get it from her, but she's still faster than like me. Flipping through. And she, What's up with moms and fast reading? Oh, know. my mother. She, my mom is yeah, so not, fast. My mother does not. So she got okay. ahead of me in book six and we're sitting next to each other. And all of a sudden she goes, <gasps> and I was like, no. <gasps> and I like ran inside. I was like, don't tell me. And I like knew someone had died. And I was so upset. <laughs> Well, and then that, that last chapter of the seventh book where you, the, just the pensive, it's one chapter. One chapter changes literally everything in I'm the entire series. I'm definitely going to like reread it again. But, Ugh. So I was not a reader as a child. <laughs> I believe it's called The Prince's Tale is the, is the title of that chapter. I don't, I don't, I'm pretty I don't sure. remember any of this, but the book the that did series. it for me was Ron Kovac's memoir, Born on the Fourth of July, oh. which I worked in a coffee shop in high school, full circle. 
And I came home late one night and my mom was watching the terrible movie adaptation starring Tom Cruise on AMC back when they used to air movies and when they had like the pop-up. I don't pop know, up, sounds promising. The, the pop-up video where they would like run facts about the movie under the screen. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like came home and she was watching it and I kind of got like sucked in. I was like, mm, what's this? Vietnam. Because I like love hippie shit. It's like my whole fucking shit. And the next morning, my dad's paperback copy of it, he like put it on my place setting. And he was like, here's the book it's based on. And I read it and I was just like, whoa. Did you start writing anything after that? Did it make you like? It was kind of around the same time. Like my, I always really liked writing, but I didn't want to follow the rules of like public high school English Mm -hmm. where like you have to, you have to like write like the triangle, paragraph, 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 triangle of like thesis statement that sums up all of it. And then I teach and I've forgotten (laughs) the list. The the thesis sentence is the last creative writing. (laughs) Not that the thesis statement is the last sentence of the first paragraph, which gives you a, B and C and then a, B and C paragraph backs up those ideas. You repeat it at the bottom. I hated it. Me too. Yet I remember it 20 years later. And I would never follow the rules. But in AP English, that changed when we were like, incur- we would like break off in- with groups and like encourage to read other books. Like I read The Color P- Purple and Lord of the Flies. And, you know, I was assigned to read On the Road, but I refuse. I've never read it. I cannot stand the beats, despite all the hippie stuff I love. I really just can't with it. And Born on the Fourth of July was did it. And the hippie, you know, cross country coach, Paul Steltz, shout out, my AP English teacher, gave me a piece of feedback about something I had written about the smell of coffee that rinsed down the drain when I came home from work. Because we were supposed to like write about, he gave, I don't even remember the assignment. I remember writing about working in the coffee shop and how I would go home at night and I would take a shower and the whole bathroom would smell like coffee. And he was like, that's a really interesting thing that you hmm. did. And that was the first time someone told me that my writing was had something to say. And I think that was what did it. So it's like always, you know, the high school teacher. Yeah. The one person that gets to you. And, you know, born on the 4th of July, I was just like got addicted to the truth. Yeah. Like I'll maybe read a few novels a year at that. But me like, too. The truth is what's... And like there's so much truth in fiction. Like people base novels off their whole fucking right. world. And like the truth, and my father's a reporter, so like also that, but like, you know, Born on the Fourth of July did it for me. Like Ron Kovacs signs up to go to the Marines when he's 18, early Vietnam. I gotta read this. uh, Becomes paralyzed from the chest down, comes home, and becomes very active in the vets against Vietnam. And it's, you know, it was just like a headstorm of all the things I had been interested in, and it was true, and I was like, all right, that's it. Do you like Tim O'Brien? Yes, I recently reread The Things They Carried, Uh which I think I read in like 11th grade or whatever. It's technically fiction, but it's basically nonfiction. The essay in it, if I ever get to teach anything, I would teach The Sweetheart of the Song Trabong Mm. because it is so beautiful and lyrical and visceral. Those are like my favorite things in writing is like when you get your hands wet mm. like i my new thing is like really try to gross people out with stuff because like i want to push the limit of like what is so disgusting that i can write about that makes you grossed out like that is oh, my man. shit these days i just read something where i was like this is really hard to read oh you know what it might have been in freedom like there was a part there was a <laughs> that makes part. sense there was a talking poop in the corrections 
Yes. Oh, that is so nothing. It was so fun. I love, I love like gross shit. And like, I love writers who are like willing to get their hands wet. I was like, my, uh, like other, I have so many like writing philosophies that are just probably going to pop out all over. Mm. But it's like. Are these yours or the ones that you've heard? No, I'm like, you know, if you're going to fucking write it, write it. Like, don't. I went to Don't a, hold back. Like, show me your gross parts. I That's went, what I love about the truth. Like, I went to a, a weekend-long workshop with Catapult. I like. I think I ended up at Catapult the I first time I arrived here. I did a weekend-long workshop here. with Catapult Don't this write past alone? summer. Don't write alone? No. Were you there? Okay. I was not. But I feel like I took a class there the first time I arrived in New York, and now I'm, like, pretty loyal to them as, like, a class thing. They brought in Melissa Phoebos, who wrote Whip Smart. She was my first craft professor. And who wrote... That's a... That's a gross book. The one part where Whoa, she's whip smart. pooping on the guy. Uh, I haven't read it. I haven't read it. Oh, God. Um, it's I'm going so to. The point grimy. is she led this workshop and I am. She's a boss. I am. Uh, how do I even say this without losing all of my street cred? My family is basically <laughs> like a non-Catholic Catholic family. Like it's all in my book and we've talked about it on the podcast, I think. But like so much body shame, so much not talking about. You need to read whip smart for Sex, sure. not about pe- like periods or anything like that and I grew up very like puritanical in my understanding of sex and all of this and now I'm a lesbian so it's just like what does that do for me in terms of understanding what sex is for obviously I'm I'm past learning about all these things now but but Annie do you need a copy I'm gonna need that yeah there we go um I was in there and she is just basically talking about writing as a metaphor or no I don't know which one's the metaphor and which one's the truth but like talking about writing about sex as a metaphor for writing and I was like I can never like I could never talk about sex in writing and she was like list all the words that scare you to write and I was just she's and I had to write the c word down and I had to write the p word down and I had to write do you mean penis my pussy was what I meant I find that word to be like very pornographic it's very well because yeah it just I don't even like I'd rather say the C word than say pussy. I do that. The C word is like a word I do not use. I find it very. I find it very. It's one of my favorite. And when words. people use it, I I don't use that word. Like that's kind yeah. of how I feel about it. Like whatever you want to do, but like yeah. I do not say that word. I find it like very degrading. And, yeah. But you know, really, I don't know. There's something really graphic but and lyrical about it that I like it. I also like quim. Oh, what what's that, that one? Oh, that's like the British slang for cunt, basically. Oh, really? Yeah. I, thought, I, I, I thought wish twat was the equivalent. Uh, it's also twat, but qu- or is it writing quim? down the quim words? Quim is very is very now. I got to look it up. Poetic, and make sure. But quim yeah, sounds like it what sounds it is. like fancy because it's English. Yeah. like to Americans, quim. it's like yeah. She had us do that, and yeah, then she was like, okay, write okay. a memory down using all of these words, and I wrote about. The first time, well, what I thought was the first time I had sex, it wasn't. I just was holding on to my not non-Catholic Catholic upbringing with my first girlfriend, and I was like, I could never, never, ever share this. But people like stood up and shared what they had written, and I was like, You're so brave, I'll never do it. But it was just this. She made it this metaphor in terms of if you're gonna write, you gotta have you have to get in the thorns, you have to get yeah, in the bushes. What are you get doing? In there, I know man. it that's was the good shit, no and that's like the best stuff. On bushes. <laughs> Get in the bushes. Like, that's the best shit. Like, if you're going to write it, like, the last, I've applied to the Tindow's workshop, like, three times, and I'm thinking about doing it again, because I'm like, fuck it, whatever. I, like, love to experiment with the personal statement and just, like, say crazy right. shit. Yeah. So I'm like, the last one I wrote, I was like, if you're going to write it, fucking write it. Yeah. that's how I feel. Like, I'm done wasting my time around people that, like, are writing for fun, or, like, they wrote.
in high school and they want to dabble again. I'm mm-hmm. like, dabble all you want, but like, I right? need the I need truth. somebody who's going to fuck my shit up and tell me to do yeah. it all again because yeah. that's where I'm at. Is that why? So you guys both take a lot of writing classes or have done them. And we were talking a little bit about this before the podcast started. I haven't taken any writing classes technically other than like teaching PDs, like, like uh, workshops that I have right. to go to for my teaching since my MFA. And I kind of wish I had, but... Honestly, it's it's a lot of money. It's kind of depends on what you want to do. Like I took a workshop I was telling you before just to get feedback. Mm-hmm. And like Me I did too. not vibe with the workshop at all. I did not care for the professor's book. The other people in the class were like all had careers and like we're doing this for fun. And I was just like, it felt like a waste of my time. Yeah, And... You know, I, I'd i say, like, because you have a writing degree, yeah. think you're past the let me sign up for this $300 workshop yeah. class. I have a writing but, like, group. Right? Like, know. you might, like, I would much rather belong to a writing group, like, people who are willing to, like, sit down and do the work mm-hmm. or, like, sit with someone alone in a room for hours and write or something. But, like, it's different for every person. You might benefit from it, but you also have a master's degree in it. So yeah. you might just be, like over it you might get there and be like fuck i made the wrong choice yeah and i want I have to some, sit in it my writing group like they've both been on i we're three people right now and we're expanding so <laughs> but they were just on the podcast a little while ago and like it's just like really hard with schedules and like meeting up and i wish we were more regular Do they live in brooklyn one lives in brooklyn one lives in queens and so we're all not good it's also let uh, me just point out that yes i'm selfish and yes they've been to my house Oh, and I have Katie. not been to there. <laughs> they know me. <laughs> to to circle back on on what did it for me? Yeah, what did it for you? So this, and I I'm not trying to just draw attention to that because I felt left out. I'm just trying to circle it to exactly what you're talking about right now, which is, I was a math and physics person through and through. Started college, and I was a physics major. I think I've already done this whole spiel on this very podcast, episode 12. And I hated English, especially this whole, like, you know, topic I mean, it's, structure. It's not even, like, English. It's, like, you have to do this. It's so it's boring. It's not creative And so all. every time there was a list of eight topics to choose from, I had to pick nine because if they know what the topic is, where's the fun in trying to write a paper if you're telling me what to write? So mm-hmm. I was always doing the ninth topic, which was always ended up being a trash heap of, of – like it was a dumpster fire as I tried to piece together something original and I always got like middling marks on them but I had more fun because I was like oh I tried to make this new argument but I got like average grades in English all throughout high school and then math and physics I was like an all-star and then I had one creative writing class in high school where I wrote about my mother who's so easy to write about because she's so entertaining wildly entertaining and and I got good feedback being like oh you're that was creative and fun and I was like yeah whatever and then I was kind of into comedy writing but then I kind of gave up that dream none of this none of this I had no thought that I was going to be a writer like I thought I was going to maybe write tv or do a stand-up comedy thing but never ever did I think I wanted to write a book as a child but I just as a thing like I, I wanted this thing I didn't want this thing it was uh, sorry motioning with my hands that what I wanted was to have a book in my hands not necessarily the actual act of writing and it wasn't until grad school I was in grad school for something completely different Duke is not really a creative arts known school so there wasn't a lot of resources to be creative on for classes and stuff like that I think the English major is not even about writing it's about like the classics doing like literature yeah right. basically and 
one one professor of mine from undergrad who stayed friends with me when I was in grad school was like you you need to own your identity as a writer and I was like what are you talking about it was it was I had never considered it I had never thought of myself as particularly talented in writing and then he gave me a couple books one was bad feminist one was the empathy exams and I think the empathy exams is the book that did it for me by Leslie Jameson, and she's my favorite, mm. my favorite nonfiction mm, writer. That's a really good book. Yeah, and that last essay about the grand unified theory of female pain is just, mm-hmm. it's so good. And that's when I was like, oh. Because I think that what I just hadn't been exposed, no one in high school or whatever, none of the curricula no, yeah, they're give just you teaching what, to get you to like pass the whatever state test so they can get funding. And exactly, and no Money. one is telling you that writing can be a game changer, that, that good writing can change the world. They're all giving you kind of like the standard. They're asking you to write just for comprehension. And I never, it's so, I'm trying to think about w- what kind of a world there would be where we give our faith to young people to say, like, mm-hmm. write something interesting about this and tell us what you think See, about like, it. I daydream about being, like, some English teacher because it's, like, you know, my, one English teacher changed it for mm-hmm. me. And, like, it could be cool to, like, pay it forward. And yeah. Like, I mean, that's have, half the reason I teach. Right. Like, show some kids somewhere that, like, there is power and, like, art is power and you have that. And, like, you can tell your story and, you know, just being able to identify with yourself and, like, knowing yourself and being, like, this is who I fucking am. And if you don't like it, fuck it off. Yeah. In my case, the teacher was actually an ethics teacher because I didn't realize – because nonfiction – I don't I I think I tr- I tried to gear towards something cultural when I write and so it it took reading about how people are writing about the world and their main problems for me to get excited about it but it's so interesting that like normal classic English teachers and I just like didn't gel in high school like I never felt that it was always it was always uh, history teachers and then this ethics teacher who made me feel like I could be excited about having something to say in the world and that took, you know, right. 16 years. Mm-hmm. Right, because, like, high school public English is not about having something to say. Right. It's, you need to fit this yeah. structure. I mean, I did, I will say, I don't, just don't want it to be a, as if I was avoiding this, but I went to private school, so I, it was pretty cool how their curriculum worked, um, and they were really great English teachers. They were right. amazing, but I was not one of right. their... Like, those are out there. Like, my partner, who's a poet, like was in magnet school and like went to catholic school as a young kid and like had it around him and like teachers who are like this is poetry this is how you read Mm -hmm. it encouraging them to write it so like i you know read in ninth grade the rhyme of the ancient mariner i remember them like (laughs) pulling out a record and playing it mistos hello and then we read some ee cummings and like those are my and like my mom liked Adrian Rich and like those were my memories of poetry until I like went to accepted students students day at, at Sarah Lawrence Amazing. and heard a poetry reading and I was like whoa like, yeah you can do real shit with this yeah and then for you for loving music and wanting to write about music you know where are you going to get that in a high school curriculum nowhere it really was my college entrance essay where I was like, what do you want to do? I had no idea. My, I love Led Zeppelin. And it was like, my dad's like, you know, put on Led Zeppelin too and just write to it. And right. like, that's what my essay was. I Damn. wish I fucking had that. And like, that's what I've been doing ever since. Just like, yeah. put on a song, see where it takes you. Yeah. It's like, Oof. you know, just a writing that exercise. Just, that just, it's just like gave a free me chills. Although, can like, we talk about how those 
college essays like I've glanced at some that I wrote and I like can't get past the first two sentences. Oh I wish I could read that essay mine. I loved mine. Well speaking of reading you feel up to reading? Sure. What do you want to read? I guess I can read from this essay of mine that was published last month in Entropy called I'll Be Your Millennial Hippie. Not Interview Magazine if I accidentally said that i've been writing this essay for seven years oh i i know those i know those types like i was like you know i have so many notes on it so many versions like every do year you, i wrote do 10 you versions use scrivener okay it took me so long to get oh, there God, but I just, like, i'm here for it now just went over to google docs I, I was i was using the floppy disk till 12th grade all right i love that I, oh my god i wasn't <laughs> yeah but no, I've been writing this essay for so long and I can't believe that they wanted to publish it and they I was worried because it was long and they didn't edit it and I was like mm. Also shout out to the cool team over at Entropy, Hannah, Dennis, all them. They're yeah. good people. Sylvia has been the woman Sylvia, that I'm yeah. in touch yeah. with. Yeah. They published a previous thing of mine, which is like a voice essay about like anxiety, LSD and my sobriety from alcohol, which is also something I'm very interested in, like very oh, much. Oh, I read that too. I did my research. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed that you read that. This is like, I We're don't tell do my family about any of host. this writing because so like, good. I am not ready to tell them I'm a druggie, but like, yeah. so like, you guys know more about me than my own yeah. family, which I, is like, kind of fun. I just wrote a part of an essay where I talk about self-harm and I'm like, it's going to be hard for. Like, I figure like, you know when and if i ever get to write a book it's like gonna be all about crazy drug shit yeah. and like that'll be the moment yeah. be like surprise yeah, i'm a big hit but I, I wrote a book okay so just <laughs> let it go let the drugs go as long as there's <laughs> well you know i'm a contributing adult right like, exactly that's what i'm saying i got this you know yes i can read that now cool sure it's called i'll be be your millennial hippie and here we go the vessel that takes you on this journey will safely bring you home. My psychonaut smiles and says, see you on the other side. I take a deep breath and put the tab of LSD on my tongue. It tastes metallic and nothing happens. How long should I hold it here, I ask. As long as you want, but it doesn't matter. It's done now. The kitchen table is lined with acrylics, colored pencils, watercolors, and an assortment of paper. I want my first trip to be at home in a controlled space, but we head out. I've agreed to sit outside for the first hour while I wait for the drug to take hold. Cars start and stop at the light, people pass by, and the summer air goes unnoticed. Somehow, my mind forgets I've just taken a powerful hallucinogen, and it feels like just another day in central Brooklyn. And gently, everything starts to wiggle in my peripherals. Something is stirring behind my eyes, and the leaves on the trees start to twitch. I think it's time to go, I say, and we walk home in slow motion. Immediately, I take off my pants and lie down on the living room floor, my head next to the speaker. Music is playing for the first time in my life at age 28. It does not matter to me. My eyes are glued to the stucco ceiling. It's undulating. I glance at my psychonaut. Your eyes are the size of dinner plates, I tell him. Yours are too. His wide, familiar smile is eerie. I realize making eye contact is incredibly uncomfortable. My eyes dart away. Time passes and my ability to reason or think outside the minute I'm living in is gone. My body has actually become a vessel and my blood, tendons, teeth, and muscles keep moving, but I don't know how. 
I am empty. I am full. I am nothing. I am the wall and the carpet. I am the walrus. I paint. My brush dabs the thick plastic chemical and I smash it onto a white page in huge blobs. Never before have I seen color like this. It's electric. I try green and then it's red and turns purple. Suddenly I'm drowning. I'm in a purple oval. My bones and organs spill out. I have no reason to live. I'm wet and not breathing. My face tastes salty. I find myself on the couch and then the floor, this time in a ball, gasping for air. The heavy drums digging the hole I sit in suddenly stop. My cheeks are red and tainted. My psychonaut appears and reminds me to breathe. We suck air in and push it out in sync. The pink sacks in my chest move up and down. Why don't we paint with some yellow, he says. There's a blank page. The yellow strokes are tiny and quickly become wings, a head, and a bird. I am dazzled. Color is new again, and I swirl and swab it around with tiny hairs on the end of a stick. I loosen up again and avoid deep colors. The acid's intensity fades away, and I feel myself gaining control, getting used to the drug. The force behind my eyes and in my stomach starts to flow through me, and I'm no longer repulsed by my body. Air ripples under my fingers and palms, and the Rocky Mountains on the map of the U.S. above my kitchen table flutter. When I wash my hands in the bathroom sink, my arms stretch into porcelain like claymation. I am a never-ending Gumby. My sticky spaghetti legs eventually hold my weight again, and we walk to the same bench and watch the cars. They're still starting and stopping. The next day, I'm drunk off my first psychedelic trip. My nerves are connected to every stranger, every slab of sidewalk, every piece of garbage in the gutter. Everything is new. I fantasize for years about what tripping would be like, but when the first crest rose behind my rods and cones, I instantly knew nothing. It wasn't a feeling of being high. LSD operates on its own plane. My eyes descended into my mind, and waves of cold, lonely purple filled my lungs. I experienced synthesia, a common side effect of LSD where one sensual experience is perceived by another, feeling color, seeing sound. Minutes felt like hours on LSD, and the purple made me afraid and suspicious of myself. My cosmic solar plexus was shattered, and now I can no longer define fear. Nothing will be as bad as seeing the underbelly of my own brain. It was yellow that lit up the cracks and crevices, and I saw a different version of myself hiding below. Now that I knew what to expect, I was ready for more. What else could I find within? My interest in LSD started when I was 16. Acid was not around me in high school, but it was the colors of the music I listened to. During my junior year, I received Barry Miles' Hippie as a Christmas gift from my parents. I don't remember telling them about it, but I had memorized the New York Times book review section featuring Hippie. There was a girl with freckles like mine and long, dirty red hair like mine, lighting a pipe with a match. It was the first time I saw someone doing a drug that wasn't drinking a beer or smoking a cigarette. It called to me the way illegal things can. Rosetta liked it a lot. Delightful. <laughs> Man, I was thinking the whole time, like, are you read? Do you read a lot of poetry? I mean, I know we talked about. I like, try to. I read more than my partner does, who is a poet. <laughs> I re- the most recent poems I read was Terrence Hayes's my so- sonnets for my past and future assassins. 
And I am going to, in the process of when my tax check comes, I'm going to buy Homie by Dan Ed Smith. And I want to get their Don't Call Us Dead also. But I also like to flip through the poetry magazine that we get. And I hear a lot of poems from my friends and their readings that I go to. And I just try to engage with it more because it's a really interesting way to think about story mm-hmm. they it's like they write in a way i cannot figure it out yeah like i can't find my way through that maze and they're great editors because they like force you to see yeah. a certain tunnel but like it's a really like you know i started reading poetry when i started dating one and i read like <laughs> ariel and like frank o'hara the, the obvious entry point and mm-hmm. then just like started going from there and it was it's a really interesting way to edit. I see it more as an editing tool because I like don't know how people do it. Like I'll hear many versions of poems over time from friends and they change and Do you mean one person's like single poem changing over right. time? Okay. Yeah. Just one person's poems that I'm most familiar with. Yeah. But yeah, I and I love the way they look different on the page. Yeah. Like, at first, I was like, you know, why is this shaped like this? And they're like, well, you know, there are no rules, so it could mean nothing. But other times, it's about pace and how you read and repetition and why you're choosing these things. Yeah, I've written three poems, and I just know that they're terrible. I do not try to write poetry. Yeah, But I definitely heard its influence in that piece. I mean, and also, like, everything that you've talked about so far, like, getting deep in the thick of it, like, I felt... Like, everything was tangible, mm-hmm. was deep inside. Very tactile. It felt very poetic. Thank you. I really just Thanks try to, Shannon. like, that I took Joanne Beard's workshop, and when I first went at Sarah Lawrence, the brief encounter, and, like, she was basically, like, don't use the same word twice, ever. Mm-hmm. And, like, that has always stuck with me. I'm like, unless I'm using repetition... On purpose, yeah. ...to show something... I try not to use the same word twice really ever because there's so many more. And like, I don't really like big fancy words. Like I did not do well on my SATs. I've never taken a literature class. I don't really like, you know, the 25 cent word. Like Mm -hmm. I like the five cent word where it's used in a way you least expect it. Mm -hmm. Like I have my favorite five cent word. Like, I don't know. Like my favorite words are like words where you definitely know what they mean. My favorite words, if I can remember them, are neon, sewage. See, like you just I can't believe you you have a list and you know, like my I love the word sewage because when you say it, it sounds great. And you know exactly what yeah. it is. Like, it's a word that goes, ugh. Yeah. Like, those are the best words. Neon sewage. God, what are the other ones that I love? I forget. But those are two of my favorite words. Oh, I love the word cartoon. Cartoon. Why? Because it's just like, it's such a fun way to describe someone. It's, it sounds like the thing it's describing. I yeah, like, like, like it's that. like, you know. Onomatopoeia. So many people, Especially, like, in yeah. New York, like, you know, you never know what you're going to get. And, like, some people really look like a cartoon. Yeah. And, like, I love the word cartoon. And maybe because, like, the way it sounds and the oon sound. My favorite word right now is emote. And it's, like, a very narcissistic reason that I love it right now is because I wrote a sentence in a workshop where someone was, like, you're performing. It was talking about my difficulty emoting like connecting with people and emoting and she's like you're performing how uncomfortable you are with being emotional is by using the word emote instead of like actually talking about feelings but 
it's my favorite word right now. Yeah, like I love speaking of like the canon of like old white guys, but like I love I grew up like loving Hunter S. Thompson, mm. like reading Fear and Loathing on the Campaign mm-hmm. Trail and like all of his essays and stuff. And like he always found a way to make basic words sound inspiring mm. because he wasn't like using like SAT vocabulary. No. He was using words that surprise you because he's putting them together in an interesting way like that is more interesting to me than like long like adverb adjectives that like just go on forever which have a place and time but like that's just not my bag I love to use a 25 cent word in a way that I hope is somewhat ironically like I love to (laughs) throw it in there and like draw as much attention to it as possible I feel like I'm always learning new words too I have that thing I had to, my partner set up that thing on my Chrome where you double click on a word and it defines it because oh, I'm like always I want to know, I want to know what it is. Unsure yeah. of what these words are. And I just like, I'm always asking. And like, I realized long ago, like, I can't be afraid to ask. Yeah. When I don't know what someone's saying, always ask. Always about ask. Because I'm like, mm, you know, I don't know. Like, I, tell me what it is. Like, I really don't want to go down this route, but I do improv and one of our new rules is like if you don't know what the other person's talking about like don't pretend that you do like don't right. look like an ass like you just right. ask what it is it's like the same adult lesson i learned early on is like if you made a mistake you have just to tell say, them it yeah, was me exactly and like yeah i fucking did that can you believe right the, under the bus the number of people who don't do that and they're like unwilling to look like i don't know like looking like a fool i feel like has been following me around for most of my life me too like, i hate play- like ever since like i wrote in green pen in 11th grade english and she got pissed at me and then i wrote in it some more because i'm like fuck you yeah. i'm writing green pen yeah. like always These looking are my like tools, an asshole ma'am. and yeah. like like never saying the right thing at the right times like totally my fucking thing like always say the wrong thing and offend people and get myself in trouble like sorry <laughs> yeah i love apologizing I mean, you too can't much, though. Like too much, women, especially. I, like I found myself, especially like being around the general public. I say, "Excuse me, I do not apologize." Yeah, I think like, I, when I people said that, like say, "I'm sorry" to get by someone else, yeah. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. uh." Yeah, I said, say, I said that I'm not really sure what if that's what like, I. What I don't I meant, like but. to apologize. Like if I have to apologize for you to something, it's like I stepped on your foot or like really fucked up. No, I meant I like really fucked up, and I'm like. I want to take this moment and, and oh, apologize right. and own it. Yeah, I mean, you got to own I think, yeah. I don't know if that's part of being a writer. I think it's more of being a person who's, like, aware of their surroundings. Yeah. I, don't I don't know. I have a situation right now where I, I'm feeling the urge to tell somebody I'm sorry, and I also don't feel like I have to. And so I'm fighting the urge to just be like, Are you really sorry for what you did? Are you, you actually did? sorry? Yeah. No. Then <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> They might, I mean, you know, people are always worried what other people think about you, but it's like people are so consumed with themselves, they're definitely not thinking about you. Yeah. So I wouldn't sweat it. But if it's keeping you up at night, like maybe make a no, li- it just like write it out and then go to bed. Yeah. Oh, no, okay. It happened like an hour ago. So <laughs> fresh on the brain. All right. Well, we're coming to the end. What I was thinking about, you said you have a lot of writing philosophies and stuff. Oh, Amy, yeah. You've said some things too. I wonder if you guys can name any specific writing philosophies that we can take the podcast out on. Episode Does it have 50. to be my own or can it can be someone else's? Can you say 50 own? writing <laughs> philosophies? Can we name those for the 50th? That's the one I o- often think of is another thing from Joanne Beard is that she has four rules for every sentence, which oh is, God. is it true? 
Is it grammatically correct? <laughs> is there a surprise in it? I always forget the fucking fourth thing. Fuck. And never forget it. Right. <laughs> is it true? Is it grammatically correct? And it's surprise, like a surprise word or a surprise piece of information. And you know what? I always do this. I'm like, oh, I love her four rants, like four rules. And I always forget the third yeah. one. So I don't remember you the third up. one. Oh, that's intense for each sentence. Yeah. She was I like, like that. very, you know. But what about, and like, like, people are always teaching the fourth state of matter because it's like you can write that one essay. Like she's infamous now. The fourth state of matter is like one of the greatest essays ever. Yeah. And like that's I, you I just need the one. That. I haven't read it. I need to read it. I barely know who you're talking Actually about. Actually appeared in the New Yorker fiction edition, but is a nonfiction essay. She like fucks some major shit up with that all essay. All right, all right. I won't even tell you what it's about. But it's thank great. You. Rules I physics are involved. Ugh, I love side I point. Love. I think that Melissa Fibos talk really fucked me up and I was like, I just need to tell you how much that just changed me and I'm thinking about adding sex details into my book, but we'll see. Someone talking about like can you can you imagine writing the scariest thing that you could ever write? And I was like, oof. That's a really good writing oof. prompt. Like what are you most afraid to write? Yeah, and I think what I was just saying earlier was that that I think I've written the scariest thing that I've ever not wanted to write is in this last chapter of my book is like mm. I've been waiting and I've been like I'm, I'll never talk about it, I'll never talk about it and I'm like I think I'm ready to write it down and have it in there I have like a whole book about my like dad that I am not ready to even like talk about with yeah. people that I'm not anywhere near able to write about that mm-hmm. I like it's a subject I don't write about ever because I just I'm not yeah. in an emotional place where I can explore that. Yeah. I'm like still navigating having a healthy relationship right. with him, which I do not. And my, I recently, so I've been doing these like music memories and I wrote one. Sometimes I'll just like write something and immediately publish it on like Medium or something. And I wrote this one that I can't believe I put out into the world about this like. Which one? Because okay. I've read that too. <laughs> Creep. I'm doing it. my <laughs> research. I'm being a professional. Um, yeah. I wrote this thing about the Andy real estate it. album Days. And yeah, this I guy I slept with for a period of time one, who worry. was not my type at all. Yeah. And like him and his friends had never heard a woman speak before, like not my type. And just like really gross shit about like my bad day, like drinking a lot and just like sleeping yeah. around. Like I think if I were, ne- if I had not stopped drinking, I would just continue being just like a fucking nightmare and yeah. just like i don't know just like drinking a lot having a lot of unsafe sex with strangers it's like you know alcohol is a poison i'm also here to remind everyone that alcohol is a poison yeah i don't drink like, that much so i I'm it's so gross i do okay. a lot of i do other drugs but like alcohol fuck your shit up you know oh, yeah <laughs> i've been i have I've always, uh, man, since college, I've been kind of like a really moderate drinker. I was a, not a moderate drinker in high school. I drank a lot, and I cried a lot, and I and then I came out to myself, and I was like, oh, this is why you drank so much. And now Commute I can... Commute life. Yeah. That's it. That's well, the no, good it was shit. more like, what can I get away with? Oh, so man. now it's like I can tell when I'm in a bad situation because I'll drink more, and I'll be like, yeah. are you using this to, to get closer to the thing that you want, but you're too scared to have? And I'm like, yeah. And then yeah, I like today, I almost spilled an entire gallon of boiling water on my leg, but I only spilled a little bit, and it like really threw me off like early in the day, and the like, oh, I had to like not have a panic attack alone in the bathroom while we were in a rush, and I 
like when my anger gets really bad like that's where alcohol and anger like don't mm. mix for me like al- 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 like alcohol was its mute button like I drank to not feel mm. and mm. um like I said to my boss who they all know I don't drink I'm like right now I just want to drink until I fall asleep right because like I'll get so mad I'm just like turn my like unplug my brain from my spine and just let me go to bed like that's how I feel at night when I go to sleep I love that but like that's what it kind of like mm. became. And that's like, so interesting. That's not a healthy way to be a person. And so like that's one of the many reasons why I don't drink alcohol that's anymore. That's fascinating. I feel like my approach is so different. Mine is like to what? alcohol will give me the thing that I'm too scared to do sober. Oh, no. I mean, I think I that, mean, that all comes from a very like internalized, scared, queer person who's like, ah. I cannot relate to that. But the reason why I why it's also problematic though is because I'm like you got to learn how to you have to like you got to learn how sh- to do it right. Like this essay yeah. I wrote is all about like I saw the other side of my consciousness because I had an ego death on LSD right. and I need that ego. You death. can never like which is LSD is a known factor for treating a lot of alcoholism yeah. because it's really you know helpful, but. uh you can't be afraid of anything if you're not afraid of yourself. And like being right. sober now, I'm like ready to, I'm ready to be the crazy person at the party because I'm the sober one. Right. I'm like, I have go- I have seen my darkest right, moment right. and I'm ready to like show you all that it's all meaningless. And it's basically, this is all, we're just talking about writing right now. I, I was about to say, this all just feels like writing advice. Like I'm ready to show you it's all meaningless and yeah, just get it's, it as it's, fucking it's wild as like, possible. It's part of, it's like the, you know, just fucking write it. Like... I just I'm so sorry to talk about myself again, but I need to share this anecdote, which is that I was I was graduating college and I was supposed to go do a, an AmeriCorps program. And because I was like, what else do I do with myself? I'll just like give myself over to the world because I'm too scared to identify what it is I actually want to do with my life. And I had a teacher who was who was like, okay, that's you, you know what you want to do. Now I do, and now I want to write. <laughs> I want to write and teach, and that's what I want to do. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, direction, um, love it. Well, it doesn't it's not getting me any closer to my goals. Well, at least you know, <laughs> you know. But I, so so he says, if you that's if that's what you want to do with your life, okay. But if you don't want to be a writer, why do you carry a notebook around? And I was like, blah blah. But I think I wanted to be a, a writer maybe once, but now it just feels way too self indulgent, which is like totally gendered and coded and all of these socializing things that we go through as as youths. And he just goes, it's all self indulgent. And I was just like, fuck me up. That was such good advice. I was at the training for AmeriCorps looking around at people being happy to be there. And I was like, it's all self-indulgent. No one does anything. They want to be there so they have a good line on the resume to get a better job so they can make money and do whatever they it's want. It's all self-indulgent. So I was That's like, right. okay, you could be self-indulgent by doing this program. I can go home and write and try to start to write. Like that, it feels... It, it, the it, quiet time alone that we have built and talked about, that is a huge self-indulgence. Yes. And like there are collections of essays about like why writers who don't have children are self-indulgent pricks because right. they want the time to themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. But like it's, it's absolutely a thing. But it's it's all self-indulgent is a way to kind of like peek through the fact that like we just label it differently. So like it feels less self-indulgent for someone like DFW to take on writing as a thing because He's it, was a man. His, it was his calling. Exactly. Or it's less self-indulgent for someone to work on the stock market because they're, I don't know, being productive. I'm not sure. But being able to like peek through and be like, every single thing is self-indulgent. This is just what I have to do. And this is my self-indulgence. It's not different than yours. It's 
you just have to defend it more for writing. I feel like you have to really justify it. Yeah, because like more. people don't get it. Like people no. who don't write, they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I go home and write. Like, and if I'm not writing, go- I have to sit and think quietly. Oh, yeah, and having to cancel plans on like Love specifically canceling plans. Even writers, writers, when you have to cancel a plan on them to write, it's like it's asinine you're like all i I need to write yeah (laughs) i I go to bed at 8 30 like let's cancel as many plans as possible i got the bug right now i need to sit and write this it's important and it's almost like it's i'm not it's not the same i know that but it's almost like an er doctor being like getting a page okay it's not (laughs) it's like not answering the phone call from your sister that that you've been meaning to talk to because you need to sit and write like right as soon as i'll sit down to write my sister my sister call and i'm like hmm sorry She'll be like, I'll be like, I'm, I'm working. And she'll be like, oh, no. what you are gotta, you working on? Don't answer the phone. Yeah. That's what level I'm at. I'm like, I yeah. don't even answer. And I know it's not the same thing as saving lives. But it's like, if you had the social justification. Saving our lives. Yes, yeah, saving our lives. <laughs> That's very therapeutic. If you had the social justification that, that ER doctors get to be like, I actually can't. I have an emergency to deal with, which is that I just had an idea and I need to write it down. Like, imagine how much writing we would get done. That's why you carry a notebook with you. That's why I carry a notebook. Yeah, it's because I do want to be a writer. I think that's a good note to end on is carry a notebook. Yeah, do it. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Annie, for co-hosting. And thanks, Sarah, for being on. Thanks for having me. I hope I didn't diverge into too many directions. No, I've had fun. Me too. I had a great time. Great conversation. Love it. We'll have to have you back and continue it. And we'll have to keep Brian out of here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he's He's a goner. Okay, that's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Animal Riot Press or through our website, AnimalRiotPress.com. This has been the 50th episode of the Animal Riot Podcast with me, Katie Rainey, and the always a joy, Annie Krabenschmidt, as your co-host today and our guest, Sarah Palantonio. Our transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay. Our podcast assistant is Dylan Thomas, and we are produced by me, Katie Rainey. See you later, you filthy animals. Belly.